Hey, I'm Tommy Chong. Welcome to High on Homegrown. Yes, yes, everybody, and welcome to this week's interview from High on Homegrown, the cannabis podcast from PersisGrowing.com. In this week's interview, we speak to a podcaster and content creator from the UK called Simpa Carter. Many of you may already know who he is. He's been on the show before, but uh, we got him in for another interview this week just to talk about a new project that he's working on. So make sure you go and check out Simpa's YouTube channel to go and see the new videos he's making. You can find it on YouTube. Just search for The Simpa Life. That's the S-I-M-P-A, Simpa Life, and you'll be able to find his channel there. Go and check out his stuff. He's always making good content and he does a lot of good work for the cannabis community. He has done loads of good work in the past and he's going to do loads more good work in the future. So if you want to know more about Simpa, go and check him out on his YouTube channel. And of course, you can always find him on podcasting networks like iTunes, Spotify, and those kind of networks too. And also social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for The Simpa Life on whichever network you want to find him on and you'll find him there. But for now, here's the interview. I'll speak to you at the end of this. Enjoy. So how are you doing? You've been busy. Super busy, super busy. Um, yeah, obviously, I've been on the road with Product Earth for weeks. Um, and I've been working on a new sort of short burst video series that I didn't realize took more to do than just sitting down for two hours and just talking shit with camera. Really? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, editing video is fucking hard, man. It, it's so long. Yeah, man, scripting it as well. It's the first time I've really had to script, mm, script mm. something. So I ended up writing like three and a half thousand words for something that ended up being 16 minutes long. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I've seen the first video, man. I know your second one just got released yesterday, the day before, was it? It was yesterday, uh, right? Yeah, it's about five thirty in the morning Sunday. By the time I finished it, <laughs> mission, mission. Are yeah. you enjoying it though? Yeah, man. Yeah, it's it's nice to try and work in a different format rather than just sitting down for like two hours and just talking shit. Mm-hmm. Um, having the opportunity to actually, I think, really articulate and make into a concise kind of chronology what exactly yeah, yeah. what I'm trying to say, rather than just going oh and this and this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, man. It's good. It's good fun when you're used to it. You got to be super high to be doing that kind of shit too, right? Well, as a general rule, I got to be super high to be alive. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, man, it, that. yeah, it helps. It's just sat here. It's quite a comfy little setup, you know what I mean? So mm, I can see so, studio changed as well in the background there. It's, uh, it's a new one, is it? Because you used to sit in your living room, maybe. Is that your living room? Yeah, living room at the old spot, and then had mm. various issues and got sorted here. And this is, yeah, just like a cupboard box room. And I just kind of re- built all this with recycled pallets to kind of hide some of the, uh, there's like a power box and stuff hidden back there. I don't um, tell them what's behind it. Exactly. <laughs> now, now we know. It looked professional before now. You know, now what I can imagine is wires and shit. And boxes and stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all of, all of a sudden. It's actually a, a piece of cardboard that if I press it, so none of the objects are there. It's all just printed on. <laughs> it's all green screen, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's in the shed, really. You know, as bad as my missus got to tell me everything that's wrong with whatever she does. Like, oh, don't worry about it. No, no, no. Looks good. Looks good. Looks great. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. The uh, the only issue I've got with it is such a small space. I end up hotboxing it too fast. Mm. Obviously, during the podcast, I smoke two standard two joints. 
So by the end of it, the heat as well, they've got like three little lights as well. Oh, damn, it, yeah. It off and yeah. Start like, ah. Especially yeah. with this heat wave we've had here in the UK, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been some warm days. It's been some yeah. warm days. Hitting 35 and shit. It's like, what? Damn. Yeah, I don't miss the days of uh, HPS growing. Mm-hmm. Imagine that shit now. Mm. Crazy, man. But even with the LEDs, they get really hot. Yeah, which yeah. Is, it's just transferring the heat, really, because you can't open the windows to get the heat out because then you let the heat in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so just in case, man, because we got uh, the listeners here in the ch- in chat upon YouTube, uh, if they haven't come across you before, would you introduce yourself to them so they know who you are? Oh, okay. Um, Have you done that before? More than <laughs> twice. <laughs> like, like, um, you... so... Introduce myself. What do I say? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think which version to go with there. <laughs> um, I suppose it's evolved a bit since the last time this came out of my mouth. So, um, yeah, Simta, I've been involved in the sort of cannabis activist activism scene in space for what, seven, eight years, somewhere in that sort of region. Um, in that time, founded a cannabis club up in the northeast, put on a lot of very public events. Um, really benefited massively from the relationships that others had kind of facilitated in the area and the discrepancy, uh, discretion and the kind of laid back attitude of the police at the time. So we got away with some quite really big big events. Uh, we put, took over a hotel uh, for a couple of events. One of them we took over for 24 hours and booked out all the bedrooms, sold weed uh, from the grounds, put on like uh, the screening of London Cannabis Film Festival, had speakers nice. around the world, really did a bang, bang up event, uh, really. Um, and then that kind of evolved into us taking over a local cafe and whatever else. And then unfortunately, uh, the Rona hit and that cafe went uh, went tits up, unfortunately. And mm. so it so did basically the CSC scene, the cannabis social club scene in the UK, uh, really got fractured and broken up. And um, yeah, it led to a period of time where I was kind of feeling a bit useless. So started a podcast and um, yeah, I've been slogging away at that basically every every week since. And in between that, I've nice. developed, I guess, a skill set as a writer, which was something I never expected considering I was kicked out of school and English was my least favorite lesson. It's about the same as me, that is, mate. You know, the amount of writing I do now with my adult age and I'm like, fucking hell, I would have never said this 20 years ago. Exactly that. Even just the, the passion for it as well, the passion for, mm. for, for knowledge that's there to, if it's got weed involved in it, I give a shit about it. Do you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of been chasing that and lucky enough to write for Weed World magazine for the past three years, three years, I think it is. Sweet. Um, produced content for like CBD websites where I've ghost written uh, for different projects, um, wrote for a few different um, like publications and online only sort of magazines. And just, yeah, just always trying to to learn more about cannabis, learn more about the history of prohibition, you know, how prohibition affects us. And more recently, I suppose, how legalization affects us and how effectively legalization is just the death fucking crow of uh of prohibition so and you have guests on your show as well don't you uh, yeah guest every week yeah how many how many episodes do you put out a week uh one a week yeah and that's uh the interview or just having a guest on yeah yeah i'm uh, mm-hmm. working on like i said short form projects at the minute right um doing i want to do weekly series exploring different concepts so obviously I've been doing a video series called The Great Medical Cannabis Con. Yeah. Um, and I'm just trying to ex- explore or in a short form series, basically get everything I know about this situation and why I think it is it is a, a con, a trick, it is exploit exploitative, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and in order to get people to agree or see it from my position, they need to know what I know. So I'm trying to break it down into these segments of talking about like the history of prohibition, going all the way back to like the year 343 BCE, um, like how religion and colonization and all these different like concepts and, and ideologies like eugenics and that played a part in the creation of prohibition and how basically the system that we've got now here in the UK is our oppressor selling us the thing that they've oppressed us for. You know what I mean? It's we're not, mm-hmm. we, have, we, have, we haven't won anything back. We've each been given a special piece of paper or there's about 17 to 20,000 of us that have got a piece of paper that means that you're safe in certain circumstances. And they want to expand that while ignoring the, the legalization argument, while ignoring the plant and the people that, you know, protected it for generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I end up, you uh, same for like recording with guests. A lot of the guests I record with end up in like weird time zones. Mm-hmm. So you end up having to record like, first thing in the morning for them it's like the last thing at night or end up in the middle of the day and yeah the amount of noise going off outside and they're in a really quiet spot and you're trying to yeah isolate that sound if, yeah man. Real, we real, always real. try and aim for this time of our interviews like you know, nine o'clock it's always uh you know, it just works but when you yeah. get people in australia and places like that bubba hawk sometimes he mm. organized an interview now to be there eight o'clock in the morning man it was evening time for them wow Crazy. Yeah, man. But How again, the world just, works like that, you know? <laughs> we just need that flat earth, man. That's all we need. You know, that would have made things so much simpler. <laughs> yep. It yeah, definitely sorry. would. What were you saying there, bro? Uh, no, I was just going to sort of say, if the, it's great though that the scene and the culture is that wide, this sort of um, communal spirit, as it were, that we were talking about before with Glassbury 69, mm-hmm. is, is now a digital culture it's a digital space mm-hmm. so we have you know comrades so i suppose to use a less controversial term you know fucking kinship <laughs> kinship in in others um in people around the world man and we can use this technology to connect with them yeah there's the inconvenience of a bit of a time zone change but mm-hmm. going back 20 years there was there was no fucking way we'd be able yeah, to crazy man yeah technology is completely different than what it was 20 years ago it's gonna be fucking mental in, 20, in fucking 10 years we'll all be doing podcasts with holograms I'll have a chair next to me and they'll just fucking appear. And... <laughs> yeah, man. Maybe. <laughs> that whole, you know, maybe in the metaverse. We were speaking about that on Sunday, that metaverse shit. Oh, would, would you do a podcast in the metaverse? No, what the fuck not. Put, on, not put, on, put on your suit and sit there. And... I, I, I only ever wear a gimp suit when we're recording anyway, don't I, John? <laughs> right, John? That's what, that's I know you I were thinking it, bro. I got there first. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but VR is fun, but it's. I don't think it's going to come to the extent where people are living in it. Uh, you know, mm. I suppose there will be them rare few. Uh, see Billy, see Billy. Yeah, I was yeah, there yeah, first, yeah. bro. Blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm thinking that what was that movie with uh, Bruce Willis? Surrogates. Right, I was thinking you mean um, uh, Pulp Fiction, but maybe <laughs> two films with Kim Suits in and Bruce Willis. Wow. Shows how diverse of an actor he is. Uh, I'd say in, that's in, typecast, isn't it? You know. Well, he's he's just just low fucking um what's the word like low uh lines moody fucking brooding face you know mm-hmm. bold mm-hmm. action hero boom easy 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 to write in a script and before Die Hard though he wasn't like an actual action type of actor he was he was in some mm-hmm. sitcom whatever you'd know Monkey right American TV well I know American TV what are, what are you asking me specifically now what was Bruce Willis in what TV show before he became uh, Famous because of Die Hard. 
God, wasn't it like moonlighting or something like that back in the day? I have no idea. Yeah, I'm gonna I'll IMDB it for you. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's find let's, out. Is somebody in chat gonna get there first? We'll find out, you know. Is your internet? Has, I think somebody has moonlighting. That's, that's what, what it was. Okay. Okay. Billy yeah. Bonds put moonlighting up. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was. I didn't look at it. That's what I was saying. The same thing was moonlighting. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm into my cinematography and got kind of random mm. shit like that. And, you know, Death Becomes It, that was a good one too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but it's, uh, it's sorry, weird. Man. It just shows that a good performance. It was, see, I said, yeah, a really good or a really shit performance. You kind of get locked in that role. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he's the epitome of that, really, isn't he? He, he did that and everyone was just like, I want that. So whenever yeah. anyone was writing or booking, booking Bruce Willis into a movie, it was like, "Can you just bring Die Hard? Just come, you know, come as yeah. just bring, just come as John McClane. We'll be yeah, fine." Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, is is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Fuck oh, yeah! And here we go. Again. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> here okay. we go again. Okay, there we go. It is a Christmas movie. We're not going to have this debate again. But I'm glad That's... you agree there, Simper. Yeah. Otherwise, we would have had to have that debate again. <laughs> Other than the Muppets Christmas Carol, it's the only movie that I, I religiously watch at Christmas. Yeah, man. So, so I'm calling it a Christmas movie. Die Hard 2 is also an Xmas movie. I don't know about that, Billy. Because <laughs> I like being a dick. <laughs> There's definitely snow. <laughs> snow and planes in that one, isn't it? Yeah, Bruce is really good at comedy. Yeah, he's a stand-up comedian and shit like that, too. For real? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm sure I've seen him on stage doing jokes before. Well, maybe it was somebody else. I don't know. Maybe that was John McLean. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but he's not well as well recently. I've seen there's some shit in the news that he won't be acting anymore because he's got some neurological disorder. Yeah, yeah, he retired. Mm. Uh, well, you know, was some degenerative condition. Mm. Does he really need to work? You think? You know? Yeah, probably not. It's probably worth hundreds of millions. Pretty much, I, mm. I would guess at least. <laughs> I mean, right. At least he's gone through hundreds of millions. Random tangent, man. How did we get onto Bruce Willis? Where was <laughs> Die Hard Christmas movie? Uh, I don't know how we got there. This is your fault, Simba. You you bought up Bruce Willis. Uh, this is this is this is an excellent insight into my podcast for your guests. <laughs> shit for a while. This is also the high and homegrown style. So yeah, tangent. Anyone? No, I'm saying that's how we roll. That's how we roll. Yeah, we do. We talk about interesting shit, mm. so it doesn't matter what it is. So with your uh, the video series you got coming up about the UK medicinal program, how many episodes do you think it's going to end up to be? Have you got any idea of that? Or are you yeah. just rolling with it? When I wrote it out, uh, it was going to be four. And I was like, I can do that in four sections. Fucking weird. <laughs> and then I recorded just the announcement video and the bits that I wanted in that, I couldn't fit in. I was like, all right, if I can keep mm. this around 10, 15 minutes, I'm all right. And then when I came to research, I went, oh, let's just look, casually look at the history of prohibition in the UK. And um, how that's kind of like impacted us in one episode in like 10 fucking minutes. And so about day three of my research, when I'm looking at Germanic paganism and Norse traditions and all of this, and I'm just into these fucking rabbit holes, I kind of go, this is going to need a lot more fucking videos. So I think mm. I'm on six is what I've outlined at the minute, minute, but it might it might need more. But I'm just trying to get it so that everything that is of that subject fits into that one episode. So the episode one is obviously the introduction. Uh, episode two is then the entire sort of history of prohibition. Um, then looking at sort of consequences of this uh, on sort of human health on like how it created big pharma and then uh, leading all the way up through like the GW fucking con and all the crap that's gone on with that. Mm -hmm. uh, right up sort of scribing now kind of my thoughts on the prescription system, evidence that I've been given and kind of uh, an aggregate of stories and experiences 
um in an episode and then an episode of just like what i think can be done to to better improve that system mm-hmm. what do you think can be done i mean it's pretty shit right now so anything really uh, but have but you yeah, got specific anything. ideas well the simplified thing that i'm throwing around in my head at the minute having spoken with uh sort of steve d'angelo and a few others about this the legalization plus decriminalization equals descheduling so if we can get cannabis as a plant descheduled it doesn't fucking matter what you do with it so mm-hmm. if everyone can do whatever the fuck they want with it in private we suddenly have an incredible amount of fucking cannabis we suddenly have an incredible amount of r&d and then once all there is no punitive criminalization and because everyone has access there isn't then um this blood sport the the legalization necessitates you know this little fish eats the big fish until mm-hmm. there's a bucket just a fucking shark left um we can negate kind of those issues with those models by just giving the people back the, the plant and then from that we instantly lose all of the stigma the bullshit uh bureaucracy and red tape that's preventing the nhs and any health service and any holistic provider from utilizing researching experiencing and training themselves with with cannabis mm-hmm and then from its ubiquity of access, this is what I've always said from day one, is that if cannabis was everywhere, the only people you would have accessing it medicinally would be the ones that really need a very specific tincture, oil or preparation or cannabis-based drug. Mm-hmm. Whereas they would just find the profile that works for them, get some fucking seeds, grow it or work as part of a collective and network, buy from a dispensary, buy from a club, buy from a shop, whatever. Because you'd have all of these models at once. It wouldn't be restricted by just one model a coffee shop or a club or a dispensary or mm-hmm, a lounge mm-hmm. it would be everything it would be everything and everywhere yeah man hopefully one day if we're a long way away from it being completely open like that i think it was steve d'angelo who said one day it'll be like a tomato plant right or was that ed rosenthal do you remember ed, <clears throat> ed rosenthal and and uh, jeff lowenthal actually is making that point as well Mm, it's yeah. the it's it's the only way. I mean, people like me, I'm gonna be fighting when this country air quotes legalizes under the fucking Tories. Whenever they pull the fucking finger out and decide that that's the only thing that's gonna keep them in power, mm-hmm. keep enough tax money flowing that they won't bankrupt the country. If yeah, want to make the economy look good, here's something that has untapped potential here in the UK now. Well, it's not. It's not. It's, it's not just the UK. Now, if you look at the body of work that Vice have put together in the past, let's say eighteen months, looking at European drug dealing. There is one narrative that is emerging that is the same thing I heard from every single grow shop owner or worker that I bumped into when I went around and did my road trip. And bear in mind, I covered thousands of miles and hit hundreds of shops. The Albanian network is closing in, man. They own all of the drug supplies. They're buying other drug networks. Yeah, all, but this... of, all of this money is being extracted from the fucking country. But that's just the newest uh, gang of people doing it. There's been different gangs throughout history. No, and they, I think no, the they've, government they've, knows. They, they, they've conglomerated in a way. No, at least before people were buying and paying bribes and there was liquidity in that system. Hmm. That's drying up now. You've now got the reports of Albanians in, in fucking uh, Colombia and Bolivia trying to get farm networks. So they're even trying to cut out the cartels. You know I mean? It, mm. Before there was always part of a system and you knew you were a cog and you worked out your deals and, and whatever else with everybody else in that, that system. And then everyone got paid as long as everyone did the fucking job. Mm-hmm. But, but, but the Albanian network since the fucking mid nineties, basically effectively unofficial government policy is to allow this international cartel to, to, to develop. It's crazy, but I think that they've known about this for a long time, before the 90s, for example, the government. 
and they've done nothing about it. There's got to be some the, other motive on why they haven't leaked because they were the ones doing it. Mm-hmm. Look, go back, look at uh, so right, let's look at the first in, in implementations of prohibition. Mm-hmm. So, the first three that the, the England enforced were all about not about trying to get rid of cannabis, it was about creating a tax revenue from it. So, the first mm-hmm. iterations of it in India. Uh, look at Mauritius, look at Sri Lanka. Uh, U.S., same way, Tax Act, 1937. Yeah, yeah. yeah. tax you, stamps on it. Yeah, but it was like I said, way before that, at the same point they're saying, oh, fucking William O'Shaughnessy turns up in the fucking mid-19th uh, century. Yeah, we'd already started fucking criminalizing it, but not mm-hmm. because it was bad or dangerous or whatever. And it wasn't even the white colonists. It was entirely in South Africa. It was the coolies, which was a, a t- horrible term used for Indian indentured workers and slaves that were brought over into wow. the different regions. And with them, they brought fucking weed. So although it was also a resource that was uh, sown by the empire, the illicit cultivars and the fun shit was also being brought and traded and, and the skills handed down. I mean... This is why Jamaica calls ganja ganja. It's from Sanskrit, from fucking India. All right. So it's it's then it's because we took these people around, and then once people sort of started settling with cannabis, it became all about unrest. So there's there's several quotes that I mean I've got for my uh, my slideshow for Product Earth on Friday uh, for my talk, and it's these are taken directly from the laws, and they're basically talking about the laziness, the unmotivated nature. Of the um of the slaves of these indentured servants. Wow! So it started as a, as a population control, moralizing of, of prohibition. Mm-hmm. Didn't come till a long time later, until frankly, radical uh, Christian fundamentalists took over most of Western Europe and America. Mm. As it took over, fortified their position in in those institutions. <laughs> it's a crazy history to it, isn't it? It's insane. Like I said, dude, I spent four four days sat here. Some days I did 14, 15 hours. Just joint coffee, joint coffee, joint coffee. The rabbit holes I went down. At one point, I thought my computer was going to explode because I have two, <laughs> two, 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 two monitors with like a link with a link with a link. And then I had to go back to like every, every sentence I found. I then wanted to find at least one academic reference for it. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing I didn't put I put in that uh, that 11-minute video, a 16-minute video, the part two that I've just released, that wasn't thoroughly referenced. Mm-hmm. I'm going to write a blog companion with it, with, again, all the sources and reference, because some of it is just like, it doesn't make sense. The official narrative we've been given that, oh, we found out about the medicinalization of cannabis, like 150, like, fuck off. Mm. Like, just just no. It's in their own documents, in their own criminalization documents and tax documents, which, of course, they never destroy. The reasoning behind all of this shit. And again, that's what I want to point out with this series is that it's those same people in that same mindset that are now telling you that off oh, you pay us, you know what I mean? We'll, we'll let you have it. It's the like no, cheeky you, you, bastards, you don't, you don't man. get it. It's analogous to like a domestic abuse situation, isn't it? It's like so cops come and, and take the partners apart, and turns out he's been beating her, and the cops go to them uh, to the to the bloke. Like, what would you like to do to resolve this? They don't have a say in this fucking situation. You've mm. got the victim. Justice is for the victim, not the perpetrator. So why are they profiting? Why are they the ones that are investing all this money? I see all of these conferences kicking off around the fucking the the world and none of them are about cannabis justice anymore they'll use our language mm-hmm. when they need to and go oh social justice equity but they don't fucking mean it it's not about that it's war to them it's about that, that capitalist blood sport and the problem is that we're in such a late stage of this that cannabis is a ubiquitous resource but what they're trying to do to it can't be ubiquitous they don't want it to be so therefore it's a limited, it's a limited market. So they were all going to try and oh, we're the billionaire. No, we're going to be the billionaire. 
And it's just not going to work. They're going to crash the industry. I mean, look, you've got companies like Columbia Care pulling out of, of Europe right now. You've got fucking um, people like t- t- fucking Tilray and that are only surviving because they're postulating on the potential of a hundred billion. No, was hundred billion? Probably right. It's a massive market, man. Whatever it was, it was some stupid number. Just that they, stupid they, they amount was, of money. Was, and they were basically <laughs> saying that that's that's what they're doing now is just keep fucking surfing on the floating on the water, just trying to get to U.S. legalization. Because mm-hmm. then the North America is a is a is a marketplace, including Mexico. That's gonna be fucking huge. That's like six six hundred thousand plus people. I mean, it's nothing compared to mainland Europe, which is like seven eight hundred. Uh, sorry, million million. Thank yeah. you, million. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. <laughs> we can easily deal with those motherfuckers. Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's mental. It's fucking mental. And again, that they're assuming that all these people are gonna buy their weed. That they're forgetting this. What I spoke of this the other day on a podcast. I called it. Fuck. I think. Uh, the f- fuck it all ability is the one variable they're forgetting. The, the one thing that we will hold and always remember is that when you open a McDonald's or cannabis on my fucking street, I'm still going to grow up in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. It, and there are millions of us that think that way, more so every fucking day. I always say, mate, it's thing. like, it doesn't matter what happens. You know, I'm still going to grow my own, smoke my own. Legal or not. And that's yeah, the fucking thing they not. need to remember. But what scares, what should scare people is the amount of tax revenue that they have. Look at a place like California, mm. how much revenue they make from selling selling cannabis to, it's only 20% of the whole total sales of California actually go towards legal weed. But of that, they take a large amount of tax. Part of that goes towards cannabis enforcement bureaus and fucking funding police to then tackle illegal grows and illegal trades. Yeah. Like what the Using fuck our is own that? money how, against us. Yeah, so literally it's like, what this is not legalization or it's not mm-hmm. what what you'd think what we've been led to believe or to understand when you hear legal it means oh that's legal there's no crime mm-hmm. but it's not it's it's prohibition 2.0 it's creating just no, enough it's of a legal space but you can't have any more than 24 grams on a friday you know yeah you know, <laughs> you know some random it, shit they throw in there you we, look at look at the other one the one of the things i'm going to point out in my video as a sneak preview is is what's happening with some of the clinics here in the uk not just the uk actually within the the uh, I, I'm now terming it the medicinal cannabis industrial complex that's developing around the world. <laughs> and basically, they're now coming up with this concept of going, there's more THC in this flower. You should pay more because there's more THC in this flower. No, 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 mate. You, you paid the same amount to grow those. I, go in, right. in, into my tent and I've got a high CBD, a fucking low, low, low CBD, high THC, a nice couple of averages and stuff. I've paid the same on the electric, on the water, on my effort to do it. There's no difference. Mm. Why is it they're suddenly arbitrarily going, oh, well, this is the one thing that we're making for this, so therefore we can price hike it, we can gouge it? Mm-hmm. What about the other side of it? They're, they're um, trying to limit the quantity, the, the uh, concentration of THC in strains out there. You know, okay, I've seen legalizations going on here in the States where they're trying to limit THC concentrations below 8%. Eight? Eight. Eight is one of one state is trying to get eight. They won't make it. It'll it'll get bumped. But you know, I've seen that proposal put out there. People are afraid of this high THC because the media is telling them it's gonna make you make you psychotic or something like that. The but, media is telling them it's bullshit. Super skunk. But here's the joke of it, right? So I'm working with a couple of people in regulation at the minute. Uh I don't think it's proprietary property, but I'm not gonna speak, I'm not gonna give too much away. But basically, there's several people that are looking at a conceptual idea of terpenes to cannabinoid ratio. And there is then basically an, an efficacy. Uh, again, I'm not going to quote the number or the work that's currently being sort of thought of, but the the theory is effectively that you need to work on a certain ratio of terpenes to cannabinoids, and that's going to mitigate the effect of either, because then high THC on itself 
to some individuals can cause anxiety, can cause um, or not cause uh, precipitate sort of temporary psychosis type events, very small percentage of people that, that it can affect. But the, if you were to breed then these plants to have that higher terpene profile, and that's kind of what the market wanted because they were educated into knowing this, that's what would be available. But it's these capitalist systems of dispensaries going, ours is 35 looking up, ours is 36, ours is 39. And that's what they've told and trained us into believing that we want is that high number when it's not the ratio is what's going to give you the, 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 the max benefit. There are studies out there showing now that lower THC with a higher terpenes are going to give, give the end user a, a more robust and longer lasting experience. No doubt. So again, it's their own systems already. They're, they're selling it. It's, I feel like, what's his name from uh, Jurassic Park? And he's, he's talking about, you know, the you, you started doing this and you were packaging it and selling it before you even realized and stopped to think, you know, should we be doing this? Mm -hmm. That's where they are with cannabis. Now they've created this huge system prescription based on sativa, indica, and the percentage ratio of THC to CBD. They know fucking nothing. They know less than nothing. It's, it's, it's negligence as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. They should not be able to provide this. And then at the same time, co-signed to agencies and, and organizations that are then saying, well, oh, well, these cannabinoids are causing all these problems. Like the entire CBD industry is not talking about the fact that CBD reduces testosterone. It's just one of those things they don't talk about. It's like one of the first studies they released and they found that actually high, uh, low THC, like a low dose, uh, could have a stimulating effect. High dose could have a sedative effect. The authors of that paper worked their fucking asses off to make sure those two words weren't in that fucking paper. Because mm. sedative and stimulant are both drug terms. CBD is not a drug. It's a supplement. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But if it's then affecting fucking testosterone, if we also then know that it's affecting other neuro, uh, affecting neurochemicals, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's a fucking drug. Yeah. But again, because of their marketing gimmicks, because of they've then gone CBD good, THC bad. They've created all of this mess that we're living under. The, yeah, sci the science, even I know some pinnacle scientists, people like two or three fucking doctorates and degrees that are like quietly, they won't say this, but maybe some of them say it publicly, but quietly, most of them are like, we don't have a clue. Mm -hmm. We don't know what is happening. We can just prove that it happens and then guess in a certain number of people, it'll happen on a regular basis. Ego, we know what it does. Mm -hmm. It's a mental system of just based, based, based entirely on consensus of observation, percentages and algorithms effectively. That's it. That's that's it. <laughs> but the thing what reassures me, though, is in the all these places with the over-regulation of cannabis, it wouldn't really become legal, using my fingers, legal, you know, and then have a shitload of regulations put against it. It's like the, the legacy market still thrives in places like that. And it will always belong to us, the people. You know, there will always be people growing it secretly and selling it, regardless regardless of it being legal or not, man. So if they charge too much tax, then that's just the way it is. And then people will go to the legacy market and can you know go see their dealer again, buy it from him instead or her instead. You know? Yeah, man. I end up just thinking of the what was it Superhands quote? Uh and then the thing of the meme that the secret ingredient is crime. <laughs> and I think that, yeah, they can build their systems and do whatever. But part of our culture is subversion. It's anti-authoritarianism. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's fuck you. It's everybody telling us we're wrong. We're criminals. We're dangerous. We're bad. And us weighing up our options and going, no, I like who I am when I consume cannabis. I like the culture I'm part of mm -hmm. consuming cannabis. I like, yeah, the, the person I've, I've become as part of cannabis. I'm speaking from my own personal experience, mm -hmm. but I know a lot of people attest to that 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 statement they would say the same is that cannabis culture in and of itself is 
yeah, there's elements of, of dark corners, the same with fucking everything. But in general, conceptually, if somebody asks, do you smoke and you say what? You've got a fucking friend right there, man. Mm-hmm. Someone, someone's going to fucking wrap up and you're going to burn a zoo and you're going to be talking shit. And that's in, invaluable. That's what needs protecting. And they can't yeah. look at look at Las Vegas trying to onboard these lounges and shit. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine all the fuck boys and chads that they're going to have it in all yeah. those lounges? It's they are not going to be spaces for the cannabis culture. Mm-hmm. They're for mm-hmm. the cannabis pauses. These fake people that have done nothing to protect the plant during its darkest days that never stood up and championed it would dare wear a leaf emblem when it was the police were around. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you know? Do you know what I mean? So no offense to them. You're welcome to to participate in a system. But we should be the ones to be given first access to it because yeah, we're the ones with the PTSD when when we hear choppers go by, we're like shit, you know. Yeah. Regardless of if you're grown or not, you still get scared by them chopper sounds. <laughs> choppers, cars squealing, fucking doors banging, fucking mm-hmm. police sirens, all, all these all... things that make us twitch, man. Just because we enjoy a particular herb, it's ridiculous, man. It is, and eventually we're gonna have to have that conversation. But unfortunately. We're still fucking hundred and fifty years into a reparations conversation that ain't gonna fucking mm-hmm, gain any mm-hmm. traction anytime soon because it's it's now under the war on drugs they extended what happened to slavery they found a reason an arbitrary reason to be able to beat us violate us raid our homes destroy our communities vilify our political movements and tear us from our families and it's very stinky stuff so it's easy to find you know <laughs> convenient yeah. you know, exactly like, say I think I smell. Mm-hmm. exactly that that is another thing there's never no cop has ever been able to answer that question when i've asked them that what does cannabis smell like i don't know but i know it when i smell it yeah <laughs> so how do you train a cop for weed what do you do sit in a room and spark a joint or like this i just i don't it, there's other fuck, like smell smell is the weirdest one like a cop yeah if a cop saw you do something they saw you do so you can't there's no other evidence of something like uh, a rape. Somebody you arrest somebody for rape, and you go, oh, "He smells a bit musky." I think he maybe had, had been having sex. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> how absurd! How absurd does that sound? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what they do for cannabis. He goes, "You smell like you smell like a drug. You smell like you've been doing drugs." Mm. Like how absurd in the abstract is that? But we've been so hyper normalized into this system of worrying about our smell, worrying about what do my eyes look like? Am I slurring my words? What's my posture? You smell it, like you just committed a robbery. What the hell, you know? Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's not right. It's There's not so, right. so many aspects that are just mental. Just yeah. fucking mental. So like, who the fuck comes up with this shit? Mm. It's ridiculous, man. Who made these rules? They've got experts around their tables telling them things like this, and they'll just sack them if they disagree and stick but, to their narrative, man. But that's what's scary. Experts are never held into account. So in 19... 19- I'm going to butcher the date. Uh, it was before the... It was pre-37, because it was before the hemp tax. Mm-hmm. Um, or 34, 34, sorry. Um, the chief uh, US chief general surgeon, who's like the, the health advisor, testified in, in court that he tried a marijuana... And, oh, it, yeah. and it turned him into a bat. Oh, I'm yeah, still yeah. looking for my bat weed. I swear yeah. if somebody finds that bat weed, he's going to be a millionaire. One of the people challenged him in the court and asked him to clarify his point, at which point you could have said, as in figuratively, I felt like. The guy said, right. no, I turned into a bat. How <laughs> sick. And that was an expert. And that is still, again, what part of what formulated where we are today. So then it brings in a disrepute the experts that we have today. I mean, even the science that we have now, what we understand about cannabinoids, uh, endogenous cannabinoids and phytocannabinoids that's working in their place is neurotransmitters. 
yet we're taught about cannabis being this detrimental, dangerous drug to mental health. I discovered a doctor that I didn't even realize existed in the UK. Uh, what's his name? Summer Colson, James Colson, I think his name was. Uh, a Scottish doctor who worked down in Carlisle, and he was given an award in 1870, I think it was, or around 1870, for prescribing cannabis for the treatment of insanity in a lunatic asylum. So successful was his work, work he won a fucking award. <laughs> he was obviously praised for it, praised for it. Look, there's, there's evidence in not The Lancet, but like similar uh, academic medical journals mm-hmm. reporting on this and people saying that this is a marvel. And then there's conversations. Bear in mind, this is like the 18 whatevers. There's, there's a conversation, there's a, a transcript that I've got, like a screenshot from a book that I'm going to include in a later video. And it's a conversation basically of two doctors that were talking and disagreeing via letter form. And one of the doctors saying that I don't believe cannabis causes any of these these conditions, but that cannabis can uh, bring out or like be the onset for them if they were pre-existing. Mm-hmm. That's only a theory now that's re-emerging in the past sort of 15, 20 years in academia, because forever cannabis induces this. Cannabis does cannabis doesn't do shit. That same person could have a temporary psychotic event from getting too drunk from an emotional reaction like a bad relationship breakup a car accident trauma you know what i mean right sort of like an epileptic being triggered by flashing lights yeah except that there's a lot of other things that correct in this instance yeah, it that, just, that it's could... just one of the things that can happen yeah but then it's that's the one that we're, we're told is the thing that does it but yeah we're it's now the only dangerous thing right but we're starting right. to understand stress i mean even now they're starting to understand through cannabinoid research that effectively the epilepsy, it's, it's firing. So you've got neuroreceivers and transmitters. And that if you have a dampening of receivers, uh, where when you have cannabinoids on the receptor, it increases the receptivity. So in, um, what's it called? In epilepsy, they, they theorize that these receptors are damaged and not receiving the signal well. So what happens when this isn't picking up the signal is the thing sending the signal goes, oh, well, I'll just fucking keep ringing. So it rings and rings and sends more of the signal until the, 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 it overloads. And then you end up with an epileptic seizure. So they're then going, oh, well, the reason cannabis works amazingly is it's, it's uptaking that receptor. So all those signals are modulating. So instead of it sending a heavy traffic of these signals, it's dealing with it. But then they start to understand the stress mechanism. All right, the stress is dysregulating these modu- uh, these uh, these uh, receptors. Sorry, too many words in my brain there. Uh, these receptors <laughs> and, and uptaking them or turning them on and off effectively. Things in our diet can. We're starting to understand how we convert omegas into it or they regulate into endogenous cannabinoids. Mm. This system, I mean, now they're talking about the endocannabinoid hub, so an even larger system than the endocannabinoid system because it goes beyond the receptors and receivers that we, we know about already. So the, we're still literally like, we're two pages into the science of this, yet they're fucking on the back page of a pamphlet of creating an industry. They're already, as far as they're concerned, it's established. They're building mushrooms and ketamine and DMT and MDMA clinics. They're establishing legal frameworks already for the home office in the UK to prescribe these drugs in therapeutic settings. Mm. And again, they don't know how those fucking drugs work either. All they've got is is clinical trials that then say, oh, in 100 people, it does this to 70 of them. Yeah. I don't think they want to know either, though, mate. Ignorance is bliss for them, isn't it? Well, yeah. All they're asking is, like, six weeks later... Do you feel depressed? Do you, do you know? Do you feel like that was a valuable experience? They're not mm. like trying trying to get into like what was that experience. They're not sitting people down with DMT like um, Stanislav Grof did and basically interview. Yeah, I think it was Stanislav Grof and interviewing them about <laughs> like 
what were the entities you saw? What were the things? Where was the realm? You, and he, he catalogued, I think if it's the right guy, um, the, basically he was a, a psychiatric physician years ago, um, psychiatrist, sorry. And he basically correlated thousands of these experiences of people on DMT. And he found these commonalities of certain entities and mm-hmm. beings that people met and the machine yeah. elves and yeah and, yeah. He, yeah, and, he, like, and the female energy figure mm-hmm. which they talk about sometimes too yeah and like track them back to like ancient sort of or theorize mm-hmm. track them back to like ancient gods and rituals of polytheistic um uh communities at the time and when they're basically yeah they were doing drugs they did the drugs this all these things they interpret them as this and then they created these these structures of religion and then ultimately it's it's fucked up that most religions probably did start from drug use and then religions starting in the 14th century i think it was in arabia where the first there was a fucking emir or whatever you call them like a ruler of a certain region threatened uh basically outlawed cannabis and its cultivation for the local population and the penalty was to get all of your teeth smashed out <laughs> wow I, i've learned so much fucking recently there is so much crazy stuff in our fucking our history mm-hmm. and then basically from there it is this this full moralizing created around this it was kind of the the culmination of what was it social darwinism eugenics kind of the new form of capitalism and post-industrial revolution and kind of like an extreme version of christianity all kind of morphed into the the ideologies that started the 20th century and ultimately you know nearly led us to the brink of human destruction through the world wars as these extreme ideologies played out and basically this fundamental kind of neo-christian neoliberalistic capitalism has won out and they are so anti-drugs because drugs make you question everything about that paradigm. Mm-hmm. You know, why am I working 90 hours a week? You know, why am I paying a rent I can't afford? Why do I pay so much for water when it falls from the sky? Why can't I afford to eat? Why is my... You can't ask any of those questions or that you will do anything but answer those questions. Uh, that sentence was terrible. You cannot <laughs> answer those questions um, if you're too busy working, if you're stooped over in an alcoholic fucking uh, state and that's not a criticize anyone that drinks you know what i mean mm-hmm. but alcohol cl- closes down the brain we know it's a it's called classified as a neurological retardant it slows down neural 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 connections in the brain you think less to the point of when you get really inebriated your brain just starts misfiring and that's where you end up with like these aggressive anger responses it's because the, there's just not enough juice in the fucking brain whereas then you go some a couple of joints with your mates you start yeah questioning you know are aliens real you know how the pyramids get there what's time travel all about you know so now you mentioned that what do you think about aliens man aliens real uh i from having done a lot a lot of entheogenic substances over my lifetime (laughs) i i don't feel it's necessary that there's there's life on other planets per se that i believe it would be closer to a multi-dimensional sort of tapestry of our reality um, that like I believe in kind of like Akasha, the old concept uh, that the Jainist and Buddhist believed in, of that like everything that is, was, could be, shit, exists permanently around us. It's what makes us up, and our choices and our en- en- energy as we move through that field forms the field. If you know what I mean. So and I think then when we take drugs, we can almost see other realities or other potential potentials. Because I've definitely come back with almost memories of events that didn't happen. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And the same way you come back, you know, and you wake up from a dream state, and you're like, no, that was real. I mean, mm-hmm. again, to look at science doesn't have a fucking clue what's going on with dreaming. For all we know, you could be going through all these multi dimensions, and that's why I, I kind of feel, in my opinion, is in my experience or my feeling, in the culmination of my life thus far, that would be closer 
to anything. I think maybe one time, even when I watched uh, Interstellar on Mushrooms, that probably helped form his opinion as well. Like when he cascades through the all of like the history of the timeline, and it's like it's kind of if you look at the base understanding of quantum physics and string theory and of everything intertwined and tangled together, and um, it, that's the thing that would make sense to me. Is it's almost like everything is condensed into something in the same way the universe started is, is now and expanded into everything. And then we almost transmorph these timelines per our decisions. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think there's almost like time travel and aliens and multi is all in one sort of thing. I think it's so fucked up a thing that I, as Tesla kind of, Nikola Tesla kind of tried to describe it, there's like radio frequencies and signals. Mm-hmm. You, you tune in while you're alive, you embody this thing, and then your signal fades and, and you fuck off back to it. Well, if you look at then again, relativity of time, Interstellar again. If you, any of your listeners haven't watched it, I fucking highly recommend it. Brilliant movie, brilliant soundtrack, conceptually fantastic. What Interstellar? Interstellar, and yeah, so there's a point that when, when when they're traveling in space, so it, it's it was uh, Christopher Nolan, and so when they travel uh, into these different planets, it, they bring in Einsteinian physics and quantum physics and all that. It's really fucking fascinating, but in a layman's kind of way, they're not talking all this high-end bullshit. It's you mm-hmm. visually seeing the concepts and they talk it out, almost like old school to our Star Trek. And so they visit these planets and they've got a choice to make of which ones to, to visit. And the orbit and the size and the density of their gravitational pull changes the effect of time. So leaving the ship and going to this planet would mean they'd lose like 20 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it, it, exploring how time works over the space of of of, of this over the vastness of space um, under that un- interpretation and understanding means that once you get far enough away from us, they're so far be they're either in our past or in our future, theoretically. They could be us in the future <laughs> or from it, the future, you know. It, it, exactly that, and that's kind of one of the things that the uh, is, is postulated in a few different things, like uh, what is it? prometheus for all that kind of killed the alien mm-hmm. franchise and went off there is in modern sort of myth of that it's humanoids that these the first alien myths are humans from the stars giant humans from the stars and obviously we would anthropomorphize human-like features onto the deities or the things that we would see in early drug experience and, and whatever other kind of I don't want to say a primitive state, but obviously our our brains are constantly evolving. So before we had the ability to look at something, go oh, rock, tree. Do you know what I mean? It must have been really difficult to kind of mm-hmm. conceptualize the world as it came at you at every moment. Do you know what I mean? So I can imagine t- to talk of gods like with uh, Helios, you know, the Greek, uh, ancient Greek god who pulled the he, on his chariot, he would pull the sun across the sky. And it was a way of explaining, you know, that this would happen, this event. That was also, it's a god. This god does that. This, this that's But god in this sense is an energy. It's a force or a, a, a repetitious action. And it's almost like a primitive way of explaining the world around them. And then I think this got mixed in with the drugs and it just kind of, it becomes a whole other level. If that's already your culture where, you know, a God drags your son across the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, we we know like the, the tree of life in Egypt, there's several, uh, at least two I can think of, uh, prominent sort of, I call them pseudo-archaeologists and people there, but they're not pseudo. Um, reckon that the tree of life in, Egypt, in ancient Egypt was the DMT giving plant. Uh, and the preparations that they produced from other plants would th- would again give rise to the fact that they would have probably known how to prepare this. So if you had a culture that the Egyptians had, and then in- again include something like DMT, you can see how we can't interpret their fucking culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's so abstract from us. Yeah, it's a crazy amount of time. Like the Egyptians about 4,000 years ago, 4,500 years ago. That's crazy shit. And look at the technology that they had then. We don't even know, really. 
we're only scratching the only reason we have what we have because of what was in the stone that was left. I mean, uh, there's two reports that I read the other day because I'm I'm going in the history of drugs as well. It just blew my fucking mind. So yeah, four thousand years ago, there's a mummy tomb that was that's excavated. Obviously, not four thousand years ago. From four thousand years ago, mm-hmm. and they found coca leaf. Yeah, as in cocaine, mm-hmm. and it is not indigenous to Africa, to Europe, or the uh, Asian Peninsula. So somebody had to bring coca from fucking South America to fucking ancient Egypt. But that, it was only discovered a, a few hundred years ago, right? <laughs> what? Coke? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Again, yeah. But see, look at Graham Hancock. We're going to talk about the, the, the pinnacle mm-hmm. of people that are, are tarred with this term of pseudo-fucking archaeologist and historian. The, the things that they're undercover, uncovering of these grand sites are going to start to extend human... Uh, the uh, knowledge about human history, hundreds, thousands of years. I mean, mm-hmm. we already blew it up in 2015, I think it was, was when they published the reports of the, the the Moroccan that they found. And he's like 300 and something thousand year old, but it's a modern homo sapien. Mm. And they were like, that's not possible. It's like 200,000 years past what anything else we've got. And it, it's not, it's, it's being verified and that that's what we're at. So again, it's, we we're almost psychologically fucked into this by going oh it's the year two thousand, mm-hmm. so even when you think of that two thousand oh it's history so this even as in the UK our history the entire history of the United Kingdom is two thousand sixty seven or sixty eight years old years that's it mm-hmm. anything before that point is prehistory prehistory how can you have prehistory history is the mm-hmm. study of things that went before the thing yeah. <laughs> It's crazy, so even, man. So even that just shows they're not interested. They go, oh, it's, we don't have records. It's like, no, you definitely have fucking records. You're it's looking, not looking in, hard enough. You're looking in the wrong place. In the same way when culture in the future wants to know where's all the artifacts of Egypt, they're not going to find them in Egypt. They're going to yeah. find them in fucking London. Mm-hmm. The same thing happened. Look at Alexander. You know what I mean? Fucking when he took over the fucking world, what did they do? They, they collected everything. The Grand Library of Alexander, they catalogued and accrued everything. And while doing it, they, they destroyed, they lost all the other stuff because we've got this one pinnacle library. We're never going to fucking have a problem, are we? Mm-hmm. Some fucker said, well, it burns to the ground or whatever happens and all that information is, is lost. But now we're starting to develop the technology to read the land. We don't need texts and the written word of these people. Mm-hmm. We can see now through uh, fucking LIDAR, radar and other technologies. Yeah, that's some cool these, shit, man. These, these structures. I mean, yeah, look at the Amazon. Fuck mm-hmm. me. There are civilizations there that don't match up with with the Mayans, with the as a train. No, what the Aztecs, the, right? Aztecs, thank you. Uh, in the region, they just they don't make sense for what we know of that area. But what we know of that area is the conquistadors fucked that place up. Mm-hmm. They raped, pillaged, and destroyed everything. All these rooms, the cities of gold. And so, you know, I mean, Spain became exceptionally wealthy because, again, all of the the things from, from those empires were, were robbed and taken from them. I mean, even when you go further back with, with the Incas, like the Incas shit was robbed by then the preceding. Every civilization pillages from the last, especially prior to the kind of the industrial rev- modern industrial revolutions and the, the techniques and technologies that we have to mass produce products. I mean, shit. There were still millions upon millions of people back then. It wasn't like a couple of us wandering through the forest. Mm-hmm. But it was sustained. It was nature kept us at a certain level until you know, the industrial revolution and medicine. Hygiene, soap is one of those mm-hmm. things that kind of mm-hmm. it kind of it fucked us up so much in, in a good and bad way. Mm-hmm. Obviously, life was horrible and shit, but we didn't then have the 
the kind of the click in our head for a long time is we're starting to see now with kind of population correction. So there are still developing nations now where it's only just becoming apparent that wait a minute, actually, if we had two kids, we're probably likely to have two kids as adults. Do you know what I mean? They'll survive mm. their childhood. Yeah. Whereas back when, before any of this hygiene and you say like medicine that wasn't like, oh, you got an itch, have you? Oh, we'll just cut your finger off and that'll help. Mm-hmm. Do you know, that kind of brutalistic kind of medicine. Yeah, I mean, how long have antibiotics been around for? Aren't it? Like just over 100 years now. There wasn't World around in World War II. It was around for World War One, just about at the end, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, penicillin. Again, where did penicillin mm. come from? An entire accident and basically somebody went, oh, what's that mushroom do? Yeah. But how much of human civilization is based on people going, oh, what does that mushroom do? That's just, that, that's, that just, but, you know, a, before then, you could cut your finger on something and die of infection a couple of weeks later. It's madness. Yeah. Well, even, I mean, yes and no, because we've got to think that war, in war, history is written by the victor. Could that not then also, I'm going entirely into theoretics here, so nobody fucking shoot me down for being unscientific. But then could we not then speculate that the same is then true of medicine? You know, look at what's just happened now with serotonin and the discovery that SSRIs are basically a lie and it was a con. There is no evidence to show efficacy in the largest single metadata study of SSRIs. And so we know, obviously, then that was a pharmaceutical system that was then propped up in creating what it wanted to create. But while doing that, it then suppressed all this other information about natural remedies, about like vit- what they call it, the vitamin cure for like balancing your vitamin levels, you know, exercise, all these are the real things that you could have looked at, but they went, no, 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 straight to SSRIs and these profited drugs. Could those same medicine people sort of back when, you know, when penicillin was created, et cetera, not have then had the same interest in manipulative marketing techniques and to then go, well, before this, nobody had anything. I know obviously people did and will have died on mass, but I'm just wondering if then maybe there was a period before the dark ages, we're starting to understand that they had a very wide knowledge of plant medicines um, and, and natural homeopathic remedies and means of ways of dealing with things. So I wonder if they then maybe had things that we have been lost to us do you know what mm-hmm. i mean in the same yeah, way yeah. like the, the tribes in south america when they were asked how did you know to mix this bark and this this fucking root or whatever it is to make ayahuasca um and they said the spirit told them like nature told them mm-hmm. and, and then it was it's just it's known after that it was just known it's like well yeah i mean somebody was fucking around and figuring that shit out so i imagine even if it was only in small pockets or cultures or traditions there will have been those kind of medicines. I imagine even still now today, obviously, because again, even like with the penicillin, penicillin being derived from mold, like they had mold back then. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But whether they have the knowledge or the experience to know so, I mean, obviously there is the narrative of medical history that states that at a certain point in history, we believed that smell was disease. So who knows? It's crazy. To think <laughs> it's crazy. Let's try this plant here and see what that one does. <laughs> I wonder what this mushroom does here. And I think, again, with mushrooms in particular, that's that shows our, how powerful that is because how many tribes have gone out and, like, Dave ate that one and just died instantly? And others will... No, the one that just left. But I've just gone, what did it look like? Give me that. All right, don't pick this one. Do you know what I mean? You know. <laughs> They've still gone out and gone, this one? Try it. And just tentatively. But that sense of exploration of innate curiosity is, is peaked i believe at the end of puberty but you know who is the the guy who was curious enough to try cheese for the first time <laughs> no, i think raw oyster is the one man oh Who's no brave enough to slurp that up oh you know? some hungry motherfucker <laughs> he's ship crashed he's sunk he's That's swam right. to this small island and the only thing That's that they right. used to eat is oysters 
I'm digging the dirt and find this thing that looks like a slimy who knows what. Got to pry it out of a rock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't sound too appealing. Yeah, see, and I think stuff like same with like caviar. I think caviar was like a joke, and I think like Probably. during the days, the days of nobility, and like the Georgians and Victorians, when it was all the affluence of what you could get from the the far reaches of the kingdom, and kind of like the the fucking we don't smoke the same smokers that are like ah, I've got this mylar bag that you can't get sort of mm. attitude. And I think they'll have been unscrupulous salesmen at the time that they've figured out like uh, we sell them fish eggs, uh, <laughs> fish eggs. Uh, you've got to eat with bone, uh, it's fish eggs. Like, you know, I think there's so much of that shit that they were just taking advantage of these idiots and just going, oh, this is the sign of affluence. This is a sign of, you know, nobility. And yeah, I think they were what about you don't think it was a bunch of a bunch of stone bros out there daring you? It's like, hey, dude, I dare you eat that stuff. <laughs> we again, so before criminalization of any sort of substance in, in, in the UK prior to any attempt to criminalize and regulate opium, you could get opium, coca, cannabis, and all sorts of preparations. Yeah, you get them in a pharmacist, but don't forget, you could get them in a shop. There wasn't, lic- there wasn't licensing of regular... Yeah, yeah. You, could, you could bulk buy whatever the fuck you wanted and cook it together. I mean, even yeah. like... this. I've, the- I've seen it in a 1900 Sears Roebuck catalog. You could actually order cocaine and a syringe in the catalog. Wow. Yeah, this again. That this is a very interesting part of history is the invention of the hypodermic needle. I mean, it was basically simultaneously created by a Scot and a Frenchman with almost exactly the same neat uh, fucking design. And then from that point, there is almost there is an acceleration of the need for the for standardized products, water soluble standardized products. Cannabis wasn't solid, water soluble. They couldn't figure out a way to to dissolve cannabis to make it intravenous. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't standardized because every batch of cannabis, different terpenes, different, all these other things they mm-hmm. just didn't have a clue about. So cannabis fa- falls out of favor with the rise of opium and, and the rise of the drug war. So then once all this opium starts going crazy because they're all injecting fucking opium, opi- uh, opium, we opioids, sorry, because uh, the first synthetic uh, morphine was at the start of the 1800s. First synthetic heroin, I think, was heroin was, yeah, by, by at the end of the century. So by the time Bayer were, were openly marketing literal heroin, there was such a fucking knowledge and awareness of intravenous drug use. And it went from, you know, the the racist and criminalized kind of opium dens, where it was you know, quite benign activity. Obviously, yeah, you had criminality in the same way you would in any kind of demonized and vilified area. But it was it was benign. You know, people would rarely fucking overdose. You know what I mean? You'd knock yourself the fuck out, but you weren't fucking injecting and dying within fucking minutes. You know what I mean? Right, right. But then once the needle started proliferating, once it became then a wonder drug and cannabis started to dissipate and fucking alcohol started to become more of a, a social ill issue. Uh-huh. And for all, it was never criminalized over here. We did start to have a backlash against it as part of like our version of a Puritan movement. And so, yeah, then once you get these conventions around opium, it was never about challenging um, opium use. It was about medicinalizing it. So these opium conventions talking about criminalization was never about any of that. It was about ensuring that they could couldn't grow it all, control all of it, regulate where it was sold around the world, and thus control the misery element of it, control the profit element of it. Mm-hmm. And that's all they're doing now with cannabis. They're pharmaceuticalizing this this natural plant that used to just be something that existed in the culture and the, in the social sphere. And if you wanted to use it, you used it. And, and fucking if- massively overcharging for it as well. Yeah, I mean, even now with the clinics, yeah, getting themselves down to cheaper prices like five or a gram and whatever else, the quality of that five or a gram is is a fucking nightmare. And then the damage that's being caused environmentally for that five or a gram, 
eth- I can't deal with that. You know what I mean? I started ethically buying weed a long time ago of asking people, you know, where, what network did this come from? Did you buy this? Do you know the grower? And I, you, you don't get that w- with these, these fucking companies. And now we know that there's people like, uh, do I name them? Fuck it. Curalief and others that are obviously just buying up uh, entities around the fucking world. Obviously, they brought uh, bought MAC Life Science here in the UK. They're one of many companies going around the world buying other clinics and, and dispensing spaces in other countries. And what they're doing is, at the same time, investing in, not Curalief in this instance, but companies like that, Regions like Zimbabwe, like fucking Colombia, they're in fucking Lathos. They're in places that they frankly shouldn't be um, touting for domestic production, creating, you know, regulatory change <clears throat> so that they can grow cannabis for 0.0 cents a gram. And they're still charging five fucking pounds. Mm-hmm. And it, you then think of the carbon footprint of all of this, the exploited labor, the fucking all of the just excess energy and, and resource that is put into this when all it should be is your doc goes yeah you benefit from cannabis cool i'll go get cannabis that's all all that system even in its limited capacity now should be would you benefit from cannabis as a doctor has authorized it yes done then you build the system where they can get it based on what is the best product not who's got the best fucking manipulation techniques and marketing gimmicks and fucking hands in and most investment pies you know Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's a ridiculous system but it has to change you've got involved with the um the system in the UK recently, aren't you? You're a medical patient now. Well, I saw I that on your first I, video. Yeah, I, I call myself a prescription cannabis patient is the terminology I'm, I'm using. And yeah, I hate it. I despise it. I'm doing it because I've been dealing with psychiatric services for 25 plus years at this fucking point. Um, and been kicked out of service innumerate times. I actually just recently rewatched my Product Earth talk from last year. And basically told the anecdote of last year when I was was kicked off, uh, you know, Mr. Carter consumes cannabis. And therefore, we will not see him until he ceases sort of style. It was bullshit. Wow. And, and so this was the last of many rejections. And basically, I've been seeking treatment for I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was a kid. And I tried to kill myself when I was about nine with like just overdosing on the Ritalin. And they kind of tried to take the Ritalin away from us. So then they were regulating the Ritalin. And then I was kind of lying and you know putting into the tongue and flicking it away sort of thing or mm-hmm. you know fucking keeping it for later and sniffing shitload of them and uh was <laughs> always had a drug seeking behavior that's something I've, I've always kind of known um but then i kind of rejected the diagnosis and was like fuck this fuck you fuck everything and just started to naturally kind of calm down as i matured a bit as the source of my abuse at the time uh in my home life kind of they divorced and moved out and things separated you know right. um and then as I've got older, the, the traits I've always managed with cannabis. I consume cannabis all day, every day. Always have. And it just normalizes me. It just makes me function in who I am. Obviously, I, I know certain cultivars that I can go, all right, I'll, I'll go heavy on that. And I will still obviously get stoned. Mm-hmm. But I, cannabis is a normalizer to me in that sense. And so them to then deny me and then basically state that I need to cease my cannabis entirely to then go into effectively what I would consider crisis to then be in a point of dysregulation you know, at the point of not being able to fucking eat, sleep, you know, not giving a fuck about my day-to-day life and activities. That's what mm-hmm. cannabis gives me. Yeah. And I ended up in a difficult situation in a, it's called a protracted crisis and a kind of a, a breakdown in a relationship and was in, a, and it was in a difficult spot and needed their fucking help. And they basically refused. And wow, in, a, in, in one meeting, I basically went, all right, we kind of fuck you. I'm going to go solve this. I'll, I'll see you in a couple of weeks, the next meeting. And basically, yeah, went away and managed to 
secure a script, not quite as fast as that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then basically, as soon as I took the script, they filled in the paperwork for the first time since I was probably about nine. And they filled in the little box that says uh, current drug user. No. <laughs> and I no was just like, mm. fuck. I was like, okay. And instantly the door opened. And within a month, they've reconfirmed my diagnosis of ADHD. And they're looking at giving me uh, a refresher on the basic toolkits of kind of coping techniques, skill sets, etc. And they're looking at giving me trauma for my CPTSD as a kid. So they were not willing to give trauma-based therapies. They were not willing to engage with me because I was a drug user. And yeah. there was like a, a, a hard, habitual drug user in the, in their eyes because of how honest I was. But then as soon as I've had this fucking bit of paper, and I don't know if I'll continue with a bit of paper once I get what I want. I don't know if it's it's requisite on the continuation of the care that I keep this piece of paper because I've told my clinic I'm in violation of it. I've been, I was honest. I recorded every instance with it. Every email, every video was recorded and screen recorded. And I was honest and open with them. I'm not going to reveal too much because obviously it's part of the video series I'm going to mm-hmm. release. But I told them that in the, the paperwork, I'm only interested in combustion. I own a vaporizer, not really interested in it. Grow my own for years, make my own oils. That's that's what I want to focus on. Um, and basically they've, they've accepted this and I've kind of, gone on to the minimum amount possible to just have the pot paying the absolute cheapest the physician that i saw was not necessarily embarrassed but was it was an awkward interaction uh when we discussed the ins and outs of this in terms of when she came prescribing a new scarily and i mean scarily nothing considering if they're talking to the average individual that that doesn't know anything about cannabis and they're listening to this person going, oh, it's literally, oh, it's a plant that develops THC or CBD. One's a sativa, one's an indica. Well, wow. it's it's just, they, that's that's all they prescribe on is cannabinoid ratio of two cannabinoids. I mean, the HMRC themselves, they consider cannabis is a cannabinoid delivery mechanism. It's not for the plant. They're not prescribing it for the wonderful synergy in, in interactive nature uh, between the compounds of like five, 600 different compounds. Mm-hmm. They consider them contaminants. Do you know what I mean? The reason, or arguably, and no doctor has been able to tell me fucking otherwise, and nobody in regulation will tell me otherwise either, or confirm or deny, the reason we're irradiating cannabis in this country is not because of the fucking risk of mold. The reason we're irradiating the cannabinoids is to destroy the terpenes. That's shit, man. You can't prescribe for terpenes. So have you, you've got uh, legal weed now. Have you had some in yet, or are you still waiting? Uh, trying to think of what the legality of what I say here is. Uh, so I run it on the date of the pot. So the pots give you about two months, two and a half months is a use by date on your pot. So that means theoretically speaking, allegedly, the high simpering court in the future, um, <laughs> you could you could theoretically, hypothetically, put anything you wanted into that pot as long as it's under ten grams. That pot says there's 10 grams of cannabis in those pots or whatever weight is on that, that pot. Mm-hmm. That pot then says that pot is legal for two months. Ergo, you you could theoretically move around with whatever cannabis is in that pot. There is currently no system that they can verify. They can't then check and tell what is that. An average cop on the street or whatever couldn't then th- figure out what that is. I mean, there's another added theoretical <clears throat> here. Again, I hope to not find myself in court discussing this. Um, but if you are then given a prescription and you have THC in your prescription from the legal use of vaporization of that prescription, and you also happen to then have 
have consumed cannabis unlawfully, scheduled schedule one cannabis and combusted it, then that THC in your system is undetectable. You cannot separate it from the legal THC. Mm. Therefore, it's always legal to have THC in your system. It, it, I mean, just having that piece of paper must be reassuring. You know, if you get the knock. Upset, upsettingly so. Yeah. The mm-hmm. thousands of miles I covered in the car. Yeah, it was frustrating in a... Yeah, I felt a sense of levity. I felt the sense of, oh, but then this sense of almost like class betrayal that I was betraying my own principles. I was betraying the the people I was fighting for, the plant I was fighting for. Well, you think that, though. I, don't... I still do, and I still struggle with that. I'm still really struggling with this because it's not the system I want, and I'm not one of these people that's always better than nothing. It's like... In no, but way, it's not like you fucking signed up, got your prescription, and like, fuck you all now. I'm going to go chill because I'm okay. You're still doing what you were doing beforehand. Well, that's the point of it is, yeah, I'm using it now to fight on both sides, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm trying to get some speaker slots uh, on, you know, medicinal panels. And I'm just, I'm right, obviously writing a series alongside this series about um, just basically like medical cannabis. The, the whole medical cannabis is a bullshit narrative. It's, it's a fake marketing term. It's... It's 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 crap. There is the medicinal use of cannabis, and that is it. Mm-hmm. There is cannabis that is being grown to a pharmaceutical grade or within their regulations, but all it is is then pharmaceuticalized cannabis, or when it's prescribed, it's prescription cannabis or cannabis on prescription. It's language is vitally important here, as we spoke of of earlier. That even if the two thousand years of our history, mm-hmm. no, it's it's not. Our history is three hundred thousand years old. So again, it's why it's why it's so important. So I'm hoping this piece of paper allows me to sit on these panels, and every time someone goes, "I'm a medical cannabis patient," I go, "No, you're not. You're you're a cannabis patient. You are prescribed cannabis. Mm-hmm. Medical cannabis yeah. doesn't mm-hmm. exist." And I'm happy to fight and shout. And my latest in Weed World uh, was basically me re, me breaking this down, and I used Jack Herrer as the analogy, and we talked of the emperor, uh, and the emperor wears no clothes, uh, the Hans Christian Andersen fable, mm-hmm. and basically discussed on this how. Um, uh the weavers that come into town these 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 two con men effectively that is the the medical kind of the medicinal cannabis industrial complex that have come into town with this mythical wares that they can build you know this these clothes that no one else has seen of such finery and quality that no one else can produce yet no one's ever seen this quality or these products Mm -hmm. you know and then the emperor who is in this stand-in is a beguiled government an idiot twat government around the world and there's these cannabis lobbyists these con men land in their region and so they then convince the king to basically give all of the resource to these imaginary loomers, which stops the other loomers, which is the perfect analogy for, for our industry of what's happening here. Mm. The loomers were already here, even though the emperor didn't acknowledge the wares and the products and the service provided by all of the weavers within the kingdom. They were still there. It wasn't then until somebody came along and promised and, and tricked and conned them into believing that we'll create this industry and this thing that then all, all the resource was dried up. The industries were fucked. The people that were there were fucked. The emperor was left robbed and embarrassed. Do, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, mm-hmm. and I, so I use that analogy and then I basically break down in it. The simplest way I can describe it is nettles. You're walking in the woods, you get a nettle sting. We, since kids were taught, get a dock leaf. Yeah. You're not then going to go and the dock leaves. Gonna, yeah. You, you're <laughs> not going to medic. You don't go and get a medical dock leaf. You then go and get a dock leaf and you use it medicinally. That dock mm. leaf is from the whatever the dock plant is. I don't know. That just shows I'm terrible my botanical knowledge. I don't even think it matters what leaf you rub on it. But, I don't think it has to be specifically dock leaf. <laughs> well, just, yeah, but mm-hmm. even that, you are, you are using that plant. That is a plant. Mm-hmm. First, <laughs> foremost, and only, it is a plant. 
it's not a medical product. A medical product is something that is designed for only medical use. That's yeah. why it has the prefix medical. Med- medicinal mm-hmm. means using as or in within the practice of medicine. And medicine is to treat illness or ailment or prevent disease, etc. So again, the, for all the language, it sounds like I'm maybe being a stickler to some people. But no, man, it, it makes sense. It's, it's, it's never vitally important. look at it from that perspective, you know, like, like mm. calling it medical cannabis. It's like, it, what are you want about medical we, cannabis? We, we like there's a, a difference or something. You know, it, there's that, no it, difference. It creates that false dichotomy. It's like people, whenever so I'm sat here smoking a joint, I'm smoking cannabis, and then people point to these and go, oh, is that a hemp brick? No, it's a cannabis brick. It was made from the plant cannabis sativa L. That's a mm. cannabis thermal block. It's, hemp it doesn't exist. It's in the same. So you're saying, oh, the, oh, hemp does all these wonderful things. It means you're instantly creating a false dichotomy in consciousness that says then cannabis doesn't do those things. Mm. Only hemp mm. does those things. So if you're saying medical cannabis, you're saying everyone that is the millions of other people that use cannabis can't be using it medicinally because it's not medicine. So mm-hmm. again, these things are are important, especially when we're in a war against it's 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 a psyop when you consider it. I mean, you look at fucking or oh, Bernard Hayes or whatever the hell his name was, fucking Freud's first cousin, who created basically modern marketing. He took all of the worst parts of psychoanalytics and applied it to to advertising to create modern marketing. And they turned pig belly, a waste product that nobody wanted to eat or consume, that was an excess and waste product, into fucking bacon. They rebranded it, marketed it. No, no breakfast isn't complete without bacon. They created those fucking campaigns. They created that manipulation Look at us of now. Our, exactly of our consciousness. <laughs> and so those that they've had fifty. What is it? God, oh, uh, I'm not even thinking of a timeline, but a long period of time to perfect these skills and these techniques. And now they have technology like TikTok and shit that we mm. don't really stand a fucking chance. So unless we can educate ourselves as a community about the language we're using, so that when somebody says, "Oh, I've got medical," it's like, no, no, you haven't. You've got discompensation to lawfully use cannabis that they're calling medical. And again, they are being the oppressor because again, mm-hmm. if any one of these medical companies was worth anything, and this is a challenge to each of you fuckers out there, that how many of them are getting around to this, but if any of them do see it, if you give a fuck about your patient, advocate for the end of the war on drugs, advocate for ubiquitous access to cannabis. The weed I grow in my bedroom, allegedly, allegedly, is as, supposedly. Is as good, is, supposedly is as good as any that I could get on prescription, if not far, far, far superior. It's got a far less carbon footprint. I am not paying for some twat's Porsche or his fucking holiday to Mauritius or wherever. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. I, I'm being self-sufficient. I'm taking back the sovereignty of my consciousness and the autonomy of my healthcare, and I'm throwing up a fuck you to the system that has tried to say that I'm a devil. The biggest, worst part of this is the doctors flipping on us. Mm-hmm. exactly the narrative i've just told you for 20 odd years they've said i'm bad oh mr carter your mental health problems are because of your cannabis consumption oh mr carter we can't see you because you take this drug oh mr carter lsd is a very dangerous drug you can't be using that what bullshit they've spent all decades calling me a criminal for all this shit now mm-hmm. they're turning around and creating patented fucking products from it they're going to create bespoke uh, therapies and clinics and charges tens of thousands of pounds to go through them. You know, they should all issue a public apology before they go forward. Like, I would just like to say, I'm sorry for fucking you all over for 25 years. But now I'm changing my mind so I can make some money. In, 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 if yeah. it was exactly that, if it, it's self-evident. If it wasn't about money, where are the, the reports in the papers? Where are them going on TV, on the news? Where are them fighting? Where are them actually being out there and actually going, you know, what? yeah, I was wrong. Moralistically understanding, because if you truly understand the power of cannabis, I mean, cannabis is a powerful tool. But when you start to understand like LSD and DMT and MDMA for tools to heal trauma, 
Mm-hmm. We could we could fix the fucking world. I know that sounds hyperbolic shit, but everything is based on trauma. Every shit reaction we have, every fucking maladaptive behavior, every war, every conflict, greed, all of these things arrive from fucking trauma that we don't address as a society. And the mm-hmm. fact that capitalism weaponizes the worst aspects of us, our sociopathic, psychopathic tendencies, our greed, our fear, our, our conceptual ideas of scarcity, of limited resource. Mm-hmm. None of this is fucking true. None of us really need as much as we fucking need. They just tell us that we do. They and wind be, us up and set us off into the fucking world. B. Mooney said here in the chat, uh, it's embarrassing, Simpa. I really believe prohibition is a crime against humanity. And it is, man. And it, it, It's absolutely disgusting the way we're treated because of the, the ways we choose to expand our own consciousness. You know, yeah, It man. doesn't matter how we decide to do it. If we have an effect on somebody else detrimentally, then of course they have a right to say something about it. And we fucked up. We have to deal with it. But we, we still f- have that option, man. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, we fucked up bad. I mean, you want to talk about like all this climate change and everything else. I can't remember the specific percentage, but in Jack Herrer's book, um, he speaks of the original percentages of cannabis in the wild. And mm. with loosely quoting, I think it is as up into the 20%, 20% of wilded species that were cannabisy or cannabisy related, that were from the cannabis family that had broken down and would, would escaped and were in the wild. Obviously, as I said, when the British colonized the fucking world, starting effectively with Ireland and Ulster, uh, Northern Ireland, the Isle of Ireland, I don't want to get too contentious with modern politics of that, we took cannabis there. And then from that, every single fucking region, we took cannabis as as an industrial resource. And then the indentured workers and slaves that we sent there, they also took them from their traditions. So cannabis ended up and escaped and was wild in every fucking where. And there's actually an interesting uh, couple of graphs that show a correlation between when the start of cannabis prohibition uh, internationally occurred basically post the Harrison Act leading up to the uh, the marijuana temp, uh, uh, marijuana hemp tax marijuana tax what am I thinking yeah marijuana tax yeah, yeah. Um, and then leading up to the start of global eradication in like about 71 I think it was with the uh, the ratification of the uh, the second round of the international UN treaties you can you can plot the temperature. There's a NASA put out a, a really cool visual graph against the earth and it just shows these rings of temperature peaks over the over the years mm-hmm. and these two dates i think 30 yeah 30 i think 35 or 36 pops up and like 72 pops up or something like that and it's literally the first years after global eradication of cannabis started because we started paying big money we weren't paying for aid in countries we were letting the population starve but we would give them tens of millions that they were allowed to like skim the the top off if they went and had these eradication programs because we believed that it was it was wild cannabis was was the street, the drug. Do you know what I mean? We were destroying yeah. naturalized ecosystems, millions of plants strong. Fuckers, man. Yeah. So again, the ecological environmental effects of that, and then you look at the its absence leading to the the ubiquity of plastics. You know, until about what mm-hmm. fifteen years ago, all plastics basically contained BPA and BPZs, endocrine disruptive substances. I mean, look at paper. Paper has deoxin. It's the sing- deoxins are the group of single most polluting and effective chemicals in the world that they are in. It was recorded, I think, they claim 99% to allow for accuracy, but 99% of all mammalian breast milk. Wow. And then, like, PFAS as well, these forever chemicals. I mean, they're in... Yeah, the blood, they're in the they're in ev- now. Everybody's blood. Everyone has fucking... Is it Teflon in their fucking blood? Well, I've, been, uh, I've seen all over the news for the last week or so how forever chemicals are in all rainwater across the planet now and no rainwater is safe to drink. Yeah, there's a, there's a guy I'm trying to get on the podcast. Uh, sorry, I was looking for his book to remind me of his name. Uh, too many books. 
uh, can't remember his name, but basically he was the inspiration for the oh gosh, the film um, Dark Water with my, uh, Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo, the guy that played the Hulk. I have Ruffalo. no idea. I don't watch uh, like these superhero movies. I don't know. Who I, th- that I, think, I think it's Mark. <laughs> I think it's Mark Ruffalo. I was just trying to find like the most ubiquitous uh, character he's played that people understand him. But he bit this guy Robert something or other. Uh, basically, he was a journalist, right? And mm-hmm. so this guy's story is fucking amazing. So he was a corporate journalist protecting big fucking corporations um, from lawsuits, right? <clears throat> he was contacted, I think it was in the 70s. I'm going to butcher this narrative. But anyway, watch the film Dark Waters. Uh, I'm going to butcher this narrative. He, this lawyer, was hired by a farmer who's like 100 and some odd of his cattle just fucking died. Just flat out fucking died. And there was a company nearby. Uh, it was the Pont Company. DuPont? Yeah, it was DuPont. Don't sue me if you're not DuPont. If you are DuPont, fucking sue me anyway. Whatever, I don't care. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. All publicity is good publicity, bro. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, it was, it was DuPont. Uh, allegedly DuPont. Uh, we'll say that. That will cover me at least. Um, and DuPont had been using the backwash of this to create these these uh, T-file and these other these other non-stick coating chemicals. The CC8 is the predominant. Uh, yeah, I think CC8 is the predominant uh, chemical constituent of it. And basically, what they were doing is they then. Uh, bought up landfill sites for just uh, general waste, or the, what they'd claimed as general waste, and they were basically con- barreling this shit up and fucking planting it in the ground. And it turns out this farmer's brother-in-law on another farm had sold his some of his land um, for them to stash all this shit in. Started leaking through the fucking groundwater. This lawyer guy found found out about the fucking what was what was going on. Went and saw these the deformities and that in the fucking cows and what was going on. And this guy completely switched one eighty. Went from being this corporate fucking lawyer to going, I'm gonna fucking take you down, and took a lifelong mission to fucking take them down. And honestly, they threw everything at him. He put in request after request for data sets, and they sent him truckloads of everything, photocopies of everything. They tried to drown him out. They tried to silence him. They tried to fucking intimidate him. Brilliant fucking watch, honestly. And and the narrative is is amazing. And he's still fighting today. You can still see him on, on Twitter, online. This fucking lawyer kicking ass being like, nah, you need to be aware of this guy's this and this and calling out. Because again, the CCA is one of 500 plus forever chemicals, these PFAS chemicals, and they're, they're not regulated. They, they're literally DuPont and that was so fucking powerful because obviously DuPont created nylon and DuPont were part of cannabis prohibition and the demonization of, of, of cannabis fibers um, in textiles and in, um, in industry in general, really. And they obviously went on to create these these fucking these chemicals, and so basically, Dupont tried to fuck the, the living shit out of this guy. And when they sorry, I've missed a point. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting that it's late in the day. Um, so it's just like that. Fuck the living shit out of the guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great visual for you. For you, you know what I mean, thank you. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Dupont were doing doing all this fucking this this heinous shit d was trying to fucking close them down in the 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 process they basically discovered that dupont had effectively cheated the the regulatory systems into not needing or not believing they needed to regulate these chemicals they downgraded and downplayed exactly what they were the potential Mm -hmm. toxicity and then it became a self-perpetual cycle that once they weren't regulated and anyone are these dangerous they went well they're not regulated, so they're not dangerous. A little bit. Did you know what I mean? So it became <laughs> so it became self fucking fulfilling prophecy that it's obviously they're not dangerous. And you look at the TFL adverts of the time, and and everything ubiquitous in the kitchen was covered in it. And now even it's still in all of the fucking appliances that are out there. But basically, the company, the one thing that they had to do 
was basically put out a statement. Pay, yeah, they paid a shitload of money, but they um put out a statement basically going that oh, if you break the surface of your Teflon pan and that, then it could be dangerous. Then it's potentially like carcinogenic and you know really, really a, a dangerous product. And on the other side of it, what they say when it was heated to a too high of a vol- volatization, but they didn't provide what temperature that was. And obviously, it's used in it's, you know, cooking. Cooker, it's used you know? in cooking. So yeah, and again, then when you think you combining uh, tefal with cooking oils, cooking oils are then partially in hydrogenated and, and different formed oils, which then sit in and with the food, which then pass your blood barrier a lot faster. So actually, then if people were using oil in with these pans, all you were doing was creating a delivery mechanism to get these quicker into your bloodstream. And like I said, we're still only on barely even on pe- pe- sentence one, paragraph one. Of understanding this because again no one's really pushing it other than this this i think it's robert i think his name last name means with a b um but yeah he's, he's, he's a guest that i want on because like i said he's literally just he saw wrong 40 years ago or whatever the fuck it was and it's just never stopped fucking fighting man and he's taken on dupont which are one of the single largest most influential chemical fucking companies in the world Crazy how how i mean i say we because we are partly responsible as humans we all play our part but these companies but I've done these things to the planet knowingly, knowing that it would fuck the, the fuck the place. Can you hear my dog going on? Yeah, yeah. Bless him. Look what right? you're doing. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's a puppy. So she's oh, uh yes. It attention as always. Yeah, it's just me in the house today. So she she's like I haven't got anybody else to go play with, so she's bothering me. Oh, come on, bro. Come on. Do you like tags? Do you like eggs? I do love a dag. Got a cow down for you, ma. <laughs> <laughs> what a fucking movie. What a fucking movie. Yeah, quality. Well, Monkey's oh. like, what the fuck is he on about? <laughs> hey, I'm used to it. You know, when you're an international <laughs> podcast, you roll with it. Sometimes you just kind of go with it. Everybody knows. It. You know, all the English guys know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of lock song. Yeah, quality TV, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, well, don't make shit like that no more. Don't make shit like no, that. No, no, I'm not allowed to, mate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was thinking, actually, I was thinking of interesting, interestingly the other day, like cannabis media. And like Pineapple Express was the last kind of stereotypical, mm. but even that, it was kind of. I was over. Almost, the almost, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, it, was, it was the last, but the last slapstick. It was of, very slapstick. Of, yeah, and so since then, anything that's kind of cannabis-related has either had to go down the kind of gangster route and involved, yeah. or it's had to then go down kind of a documentary sort of thing. And we're not really seeing cannabis community comedy. Do you know what I mean? And it, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's but that, that's going to disappear as it becomes more and more legal. We won't have the same. Uh, yeah, I think the stereotypes going yeah, to be going a little it's bit. It's going to be changing. But we still have a unique culture that, in some way, needs represented. For now, in for film. now. But yeah, I, think I could always I could always laugh at the stereotypical crap. I mean, they're making fun of us, but what the hell, man? It's but okay. That, that's that's part of it because you know there's exactly some, there's some there's some truth in it. You know that not Damn every right. jo- not every joint's gonna <laughs> leave you drooling on the couch. But fuck me, I've eaten enough edibles to know that something will. You know, it's I gotcha. Yeah, it's similar. It's like alcohol. I mean, I do. I notice in pop culture, sort of more and more, there's various sort of TV shows that uh, so I used to watch with with the ex. Um, and you'd see it, and they're like two characters sit down and like roll a joint, smoke a joint, and it wouldn't harm the the narrative, and it wouldn't be like, oh god, one of them needs drug mm-hmm. rehab now or what. It was the same yeah, as like, yeah. go, going to a pub, but I mean in terms of like representation, like clubs and like our underground scene and the legacy culture and the the lives we've all lived for decades anyway. Mm-hmm. 
we need to lock that into into film into a form other than yeah podcasts and documentaries we need icons created from this we need characters that are fictionalized but are the amalgamation of all the positive and yeah some of the negative aspects of cannabis culture and the the average cannabis consumer mm -hmm. i understand how many times like you said after how many times after we overindulge have we done that comedic thing and that's all part of the high that's part of the laugh that's why we enjoy it because i mean i'll do that all the time with the missus you know have a little bit too much and you forget where you put your whatever and we do it all the time and we laugh our ass off at it because mm -hmm. that's that's what we do yeah but the other side of it as well is to inform the novice so i mean i went to the chinese the other day and my tradition is to well it's a small walk i finished my joint on the way to the chinese flick it at the door sort of thing and so obviously i walked in smelling a weed probably looking quite stoned and so some guy one of the delivery drivers was like oh but you got the munchies and it was kind of like it was this it's this kind of weird invasiveness that is still allowed that, wait because I'm, I'm a stoner you're allowed to just speak to me in that way if i was if i was sat there you know smelling a bit of, of cider or whatever and, and you wouldn't do you know what i mean you wouldn't engage in the same way and it's yeah, because of the cannabis is cool in it <laughs> if you walk by me like that i'm going to give you a fist bump and keep on going you know mm. well no i just laughed it off with him and, and and whatever else but like i don't know it was just the entitlement of him being able to sort of state that and, and him, in him, his eyes almost thinking that he was otherizing or uh, lessening, you know, my experience, yeah. my, ex my human experience. And I've, so had, I've had that experience in a restaurant with the waiter with my missus, you know, yes, we had had a joint or two before, before dinner in a legal state. And we sat down to dinner in a nice restaurant and the waiter walked up to us and he looked at our eyes and he goes like, okay. Well, the tip wasn't very, very good that night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And again, that's what it's until hypernormalization of cannabis consumption and the end of cannabis culture will happen when cannabis is part of the larger pop culture, the normal culture. And for all that, the minute it feels there are periods of integration, as we've discussed, there is still a hell of a lot of cultural co-option. So for all they're not portraying, this, portraying the stoner in the same way, they're now wanting to depict our culture and, and the way that we consume cannabis and what a cannabis consumer lives like day to day is in their stories and in their narratives, but without having, you know, kind of a firsthand experience of what that is. And again, that still feels like misrepresentation in an age now where they're having conversations of saying like a gay act, a, a straight person shouldn't play a gay role, a gay actor should. Well, wait a and minute. Yeah. We should have some representation. Yeah, we. I mean, we could really get on on a tangent on that though. But the actor, in in the term, you're an actor. You're supposed to be able to act. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. It's and, nuts. What's this world coming to, man? Yeah. No, no. I, I agree entirely. You are you are, unless it's sort of you portraying historical roles. I get it. If you're playing a fictional character, it's fucking fiction. It's that's that's the point of it. Exactly. But I think I think that yeah, we need more less. <laughs> poser consumers or I guess less new cannabis consumers in Hollywood we mm -hmm. need more of the legacy folks in there because the the representation of cannabis just isn't there and they're not showing the rich vastness of our culture and they're not like, where are the we had a series, like a whole shitload of fucking films and TV shows based around like bootlegging I mean Dukes of Hazard they were bootleg runner, runners you know for fucking mm -hmm. moonshine um so where's the same for again for cannabis for this yes to historic his history 
but in fact, yeah, in a lot of ways, frankly, fuck you, yeah, to glamorize, to glorify, to to what's the word? Uh, create like icons of certain aspects of of our heritage and our history. Because the fact that these cunts in their suits, these chads, can go around and create their businesses and their industries is based entirely off our suffering. And unless that is honoured in our in our culture, it's going to be erased. Yeah, man. So we should wrap this shit up now. But we need to let everybody know where to find your podcast and uh, your YouTube channel and shit, simple, mm. and your website and you, you know just all your general shit. All that good stuff. Uh, all social media at the Simple Life. Um, thesimplelife.com um, and .co.uk but it's kind of it's under under what's the word currently under maintenance um, so that will be getting relaunched at some point I've just been so snowed under with my work with Product Earth and then doing these other projects that I've been sort of working on in the background mm-hmm. um, but with the podcast uh, Apple Google Amazon for all, I hate all three of the cons it's available on them uh, predominantly Spotify uh, Anchor couple of the other minor ones i'm trying to figure out whether to bother with podbean at the minute but i don't i don't know yet but yeah the main, main places i think uh spotify as well uh, allowing the videos so you can watch and listen via spotify but you can listen on all the other platforms and uh youtube the simple life slash or youtube slash c slash the the simple life uh is where you'll find all of the previous episodes can I actually pick up some of my guests coming of up? Of course, man, of course. Um, so I've got one of your previous guests, recent guests coming up. We've got Andrew D'Angelo coming on. Nice. Um, which would be quite nice because I had Steve D'Angelo on recently. So it'd be good to kind of get both sides, as it were, because obviously they're co-founders in quite a few different projects. Um, got Dennis McKenna coming on at the end of the month as well. Nice. Which I'm not quite sure how I managed to pull that one together, but we did. Um, and should have next week uh, i'm not gonna say it's next week maybe next week uh mendo dope boys as well uh which should be nice real real fucking interesting been speaking with uh with brian for quite a bit and uh he's just had a kid and they've settled down enough and he's like no we 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 can definitely do this nice so yeah hoping to get them together and but yeah it's uh it's, it's growing well and enjoying it and yeah just trying to keep it organic you know i mean i don't want any sponsors don't really want mm-hmm. any other voices involved other than my guests. I want it to remain organic. It's a journey of me learning shit. You know, my opinions mm-hmm. in episode 91 compared to episode one, very fucking different. And that's what I want it to be is this, this informative platform where we're on this journey together of just trying to figure out who's who and what they're fucking doing. Cause in five, 10 years, the Chad 3.0 are going to be rewriting our history and saying yeah. that they they invented fucking everything and mm-hmm. they didn't do shit. They've stole everything. Yeah, man. They've, co- they've co-opted the rest and yeah, there might be some innovation there, but I haven't fucking seen it yet. All <laughs> the true smokers know. <laughs> yep. That's the way it is, man. But yeah, man. It's fucking some great work you're doing, Simper. It's very impressive, man. You know, the podcast and the content you're putting out there on your YouTube channel and the shows you're doing, the writing you're doing. It's very cool, man. Thank keep keep it. doing all the hard work and doing what you do you're smashing thanks. it thanks man i really appreciate that and likewise it's it's great to see that there's just so much homegrown content we'll put it that way oh yes <laughs> long, long, may, long may it continue yes we, we need content out there let the world know we're out here let the world know that this is we are not criminals is the good way to put it right mm-hmm. yeah i've got a sign that says uh, we are not criminals we are criminalized yeah that would be a good nice. really good yeah. way to put it yeah yeah, man. So nice one, Simper. We appreciate you coming along. We'll do it again soon, man. We'll talk about what we spoke about a little bit earlier there. We'll see what yeah. happens. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Nice. Yeah, man. All right. Peace and love, guys. See you Bye. Later, Bye. man. Bye.
And there we go, everybody. That was Simpa Carter from the Simpa Life podcast. Again, if you want to know more about Simpa, then you can find him on all social networks and all podcasting networks, plus YouTube as well. Just search for the Simpa Life. You can also see Simpa at many cannabis events across the UK throughout the year. So if you go into any of those events, then keep an eye out for him at those events too. But thank you to Simpa for coming to join us. It was a great conversation. Many tangents that we went on, you know, because that's how we roll. Uh, and it's always good to just catch up and talk to fellow cannabis enthusiasts. I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as we enjoyed recording it. And it would be great if you could share this episode with a friend or somebody who enjoys cannabis the way you do. We always appreciate it when you share the content because it helps the show grow bigger and bigger all the time. So it would be great if you could share it, but of course, no pressure. Anyway, thank you very much for downloading and listening to the show. We always massively appreciate it. And we look forward to speaking to you again on Friday for the Grow Guides, which is all about hydroponics. So we'll catch you then. And if not, we'll see you on the live show on Sunday where we talk about soil, uh, living soil, super soil, normal bag soil, potting soil, that kind of stuff. So I hope to see you live on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash high and homegrown on Sunday at nine o'clock UK time. So have a good week, everybody. Stay high and stay safe. And we'll see you on Sunday. Goodbye.